0: Well, welcome to Midlife Mastery. So today's episode is a little bit different. Today's guest is Danielle Gillespie, and she is a technologist, a consultant, and an advisor to tech startups. And she really focuses her approach on one central theme, ideas last. And she's also living a pretty good midlife. So I'm excited to have her on the show because I'm intrigued about her approach to startups. Many of you listening are, of course, entrepreneurs, or you have a side business, or maybe you're in a position where you're thinking about starting a business. And so she shares the core of her ideas last approach. She discusses where founders tend to get in their own way or even self-sabotage their own businesses. She talks about staying relevant in your career after 50 and the advantages of being older in a youthful field. And she also talks about thinking through career changes in midlife. So while you may not have a tech startup, her approach and her ideas go across fields and across situations, especially in the second half of this show where we really talk about staying relevant and the advantages that midlife bring. Now, if you haven't listened to it yet, I highly encourage you to go listen to the previous episode with Lori Moshesnik. She talks about changing your mindset and upping your mental game. She is an eight-time qualifier for the CrossFit Games. And actually, I think since we posted, she's now a nine-time qualifier. She is a CrossFit medalist, and she's a mindset coach. And so if you're into fitness, if you're into CrossFit, or if you're just looking for ways to up your own mental game, She really, she humbly shares a lot about her CrossFit accomplishments, but that really just frames her conversation about how she changed her mindset and her mental game to become a champion in midlife. And in the episode, we also talk about comparing yourself to others and the not enough syndrome, the problem with focusing on the how of your goals, being able to align your rational and your subconscious minds, the power of identity, and a lot more. It's a great episode, very popular, highly encourage you to go listen to it. But for now, let's get started. Well, today's guest I'm very excited about is Danielle Gillespie. Danielle, I always like to let people introduce themselves a little bit. So how do you describe yourself to people?
1: A certified tech geek who likes to drink wine and other spirits and occasionally may have some colorful language.
0: All right. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Love it. So um, I'm guessing that doesn't all fit on a business card. So like... uh, what what what's what's the official business title if someone asked you
1: so i'm the founder of ideas last and it's a methodology that i have developed over the past probably 5 years maybe the last 2 years formally informally over the last 5 years and it's sort of come out of my experience either both as a startup founder and networking with other founders, and then transitioning to mentoring and consulting to startup companies.
0: Well, let's jump right in right there. So I, I'm very curious. I've been wanting to find out more about it. What is, what is Ideas Last?
1: So Ideas Last is this concept that you know you have this, you may have a great idea for, for a company or a business or a product, and you have to be passionate about your idea, but you also have to be coachable. You have to be open-minded and you have to understand that that great idea, that initial spark might not thrive in the place where you thought it would thrive. So the at the highest level, the idea's last methodology is about finding the intersection between what I call the playground, which could be market, and your idea. So that means that both of those axes are continuums; they're not discrete. And you may have this great idea, but it may need to be tweaked a little bit. And you might have a target industry, but the industry's not ready for it. So you can sort of slide those two axes so you can find the place where your business will thrive.
0: So let me ask this because I've always been a little bit curious. You know, it, it seems like some ideas come to market and they're not appreciated. They're ahead of their time. They're a little bit to the side and some of them go on to be brilliant ideas, well-executed. And some of them were just really bad ideas. There was a reason no one was doing it. And so how do you help or how do you kind of figure out like, is no one doing this because it's a terrible idea or is no one doing this because I actually have something unique that might be valuable?
1: Right. So, um, it's there's there's all different places that a, a, a startup founder's journey begins. So if somebody's coming to me and they say I have a idea or I have 10 ideas. What and first of all I I qualify by saying if it's not in my industry or or something that I understand, I I can't. I'm not sure I can help. I could probably Direct the person, but I I couldn't necessarily coach them. But, you know, a lot of just sort of evaluating that initial idea is understanding the industry, understanding the market, understanding what's coming, what people are talking about, what trends exist. And those are things that you have to have been observing and examining for months, not days. So, I couldn't just pick up an idea and in two or three days say, oh yeah, it's a great idea. It's a terrible idea. I can weigh in on ideas for industries and products and scenarios that I understand. So there's, you know, there's a set of stuff that I understand better and and I could quickly evaluate whether the whether the idea is good or, or not good. So that's sort of when you're kicking it off, when you're trying to take it off the proverbial napkin and and possibly release it into the wild. Then you may have created a MVP, your first version of a product, and you are trying to evaluate whether what you built is what people want. And that's when you start observing customers and user behavior and um, asking questions and seeing how are people using this product and can I get any engagement or enthusiasm about this product any momentum, and if the answer is no, there, it's quite possible that you're either in the wrong industry or the product needs to be tweaked. And in some cases, like you said, it's just a bad idea. You gave it a go, and you know, upon further examination or analysis, the business case wasn't as strong as you thought it was. People just don't like it; they're not ready. You know, there's there's a million reasons, but you know, sometimes things don't just don't work out. But oftentimes. You know the most successful products you see out there didn't start as that idea they started as something else and they morphed into the thing that it became so you know it's it's a it's a target but there's course corrections and sometimes a course correction means the product's a little bit different in the end and sometimes you know sometimes you scrap it.
0: Actually that leads my next question there Danielle is so how do you know? And I know there's not a universal one answer to this, but kind of what are some of the things that you think about when, you know, do you persist or do you pivot? Like, you know, sometimes it's just go, going that extra day, that extra foot is gets the breakthrough, and other times, you know, you hear no, the breakthrough came when I actually kind of turned away from where I was going.
1: Right. So so pivots aren't usually 180s, they're usually small adjustments, but if you my the In my experience, the the biggest indicator of whether or not you need to pivot or, or scrap it is what are your users doing with your product? And is there a community that's engaged? So... You know, I've seen a lot of products that, you know, just didn't make it, but it's because the, the users didn't love what was, what the product was. We had one, I was working for one startup company and, and we had a little bit of organic growth. You know, we had maybe a thousand users. It was a good product. The UI was great. The UX was great. And what we discovered was that those thousand users weren't engaging as much as we would like them to first with the product. And then secondly with us. So we because that team was ready to accelerate growth. So we thought, let's go to the user base and see, you know, our power users are the people who've abandoned, you know, see what we can, what information we can glean from that community. And we really couldn't get much information at all, which to me was a red flag. Like, There's something wrong with this product if the power users won't even respond and, and tell you what's good or bad or what market you should, you know, like what are, what should be new features? You know, usually if, if the, the consumer's engaged either violently against or violently for you, you're, you're to something. If it's a bunch of like, eh, you should probably rethink your strategy.
0: During the pandemic, you know, people were laid off, people rethought their lives. I think suspect a lot of people have been thinking about or have started businesses, tried to launch products, tried to, you know, get it out there, especially maybe those of us kind of who would be listening to this podcast who, you know, are over 50 and and kind of Looking at career choices and career changes, whether those were voluntary or kind of forced upon them. So you, you mentioned the ideas. Last part of that is just the the idea isn't enough, as I understood it. Like once you get the idea, it sounds like it almost takes a back burner to the to the other things. Do I have that correct?
1: Yes, one hundred percent. You have this initial idea, then you have to go and 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 you know listen to what the market wants and examine your industries and and do the do the legwork and then if you build something then you see what the customer wants and still your idea's last <laughs> you're, you know you you're, 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 you have to execute aggressively but you can't just hold on hopelessly to the, to your first idea
0: you may have just answered that this right there but what what do most people do like if you're out there helping them push ideas last, I guess they're putting ideas first. but where does that where do they get stuck on that? or or maybe a, a better question is where do they get in their own way when they've got this idea that they're very passionate about?
1: so it's it's usually there's you know either some slowdown in growth or user acquisition or some slowdown in user uh, interaction with the product. and the the team is usually looking for a way to step on the gas and accelerate growth, and some teams will then say, you know, we need we need a fresh set of eyes on this. We need to figure out, you know, wh- what what do we have to do to go from a thousand users to ten thousand users? And what happens is sometimes founders are unwilling to make modifications to their initial product vision to adapt to what the market is telling them and and it can happen anytime it can happen you know you could have 50000 users going you're trying for 200,000 users and and there's a slowdown you you reach this kind of roadblock where you're not acquiring customers at the same rate you are or it's costing you more money to acquire customers. So if the answer is this product needs to be modified a little bit or extended or used a slightly different way, some founders believe it or not are unwilling to to make that change. They want to stay true to the mission of of what they set out to do and you know, to to the detriment of the business, they're going to stick to that.
0: So is that just, is that an ego thing? Is that just, they have such a strong vision, they can't possibly see anything else. Like they're so emotionally, mentally invested. Is it different for everyone? What what tends to show up there? I
1: think it's, it's different for different people. I mean, it's always emotional. You know, I, I talked to, I I was on a team early on and, and there was a man who had come up with this great idea and we built this beautiful tech and he, he didn't like where the product was going and he didn't like that he wasn't the one who came up with the beautiful tech solution. So he went into hiding and, and just abandoned everything. I mean, he had a whole team. He had investors. He It was it was a really great solution. And, and he just, he couldn't handle the fact that the engineers came up with a great solution and he didn't, he wasn't in charge of that great solution. So even though he wasn't an engineer and he couldn't develop software, he just, he didn't like, you know, the, that, you know, that, it was solved without his input. And rightly so it's, you know, if you, if you don't understand engineering, you shouldn't be the one coming up with the solutions and <laughs> like, yeah, that's okay. That's totally fine. Right. You can't be everything, you know? And then I, I saw another founder who I think maybe had some sort of social clout tied up with the vision. And again, I think it was a very emotional issue to, 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 move off of the initial vision because of this social clout that resulted from bringing the product into the world. And it, it's it's too bad the product ended up dying and the company, you know, went out of business.
0: You know, so from the outside, that sounds kind of insane. Both of those examples. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yes.
0: And yet, like from the outside, everything that we do to get in our own way probably looks insane. I mean, it makes total sense to us at the time, but you know, for, for sure. Us. So I, anyway, I, I just find that, that fascinating, you know, being so stuck on who came up with what moved it closer to production or like social cloud just seems like a very strange thing to be be tied into <laughs> when, when you were coming up with ideas and business and all, and all that. And, but Hey, we, I mean, we, we do, it's emotional. We, it, it's not rational. we, we, no we hook into different things. And so, well, I, I'm, you know, also kind of wondering here. And so I was talking with someone who who is in tech and he, he you know, oversees a, a team of now this isn't startup world at all. This is, you know, very established business, but oversees a, a team of, of software folks. And I just kind of made the comment that, you know, he, you know, he was fifty. He was too old to to learn new programming languages, so he really left that up to his team. And, and while on one hand, I get from a management sense, it probably makes sense that you know that the the experts are doing the work and the managers managing the work. But on the other hand, it was such kind of a defeatist um, <laughs> mindset. I was like, well, I'm fifty. I don't feel too old <laughs> to. <laughs>
1: Learn something new.
0: Yeah. Like, like if I stop learning, I don't have a job anymore, you know, so I, but I, I get that, you know, people feel that way, especially, you know, thinking about tech, thinking about startups that, you know, we think of those as being very young, very dynamic industries. So where is the place for those of us, you know, fifties and beyond it, to fit into startup land and tech land and, you know, ha- are, are we irrelevant is, I mean, obviously not.
1: <laughs> I hope not. I'm going to, I think after this uh, interview, I'm going to go crawl under my bed and start crying.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. Cause you are clearly succeeding <laughs> at it. So I guess I'm looking to you for, for kind of that, you, you know, been there, done that voice of, you know, what do we miss or, or, or what do we have to bring to the table that, that maybe a lot of us don't see in ourselves?
1: Right. So I, I actually, I mean, honestly spent a lot of time thinking about this over the last probably three years. And I, I read a lot of books. I listened to a lot of podcasts. I was really thinking, what the heck am I going to do with the rest of my life? Because I, I don't, you know, my, my kids went to college. I was winding down core guru. And I, I just thought I, this can't be it. I mean, like, sure. I love to golf, but I'm, you know, that's, I can do that once a week. So I, I, through the reading and, and sort of the research and the the trying to understand what to do next, everything I heard and, and listened to said, find the thing you love to do, right? So if you love programming, keep programming, keep learning, keep, you can be just as good as someone out of, probably better than someone out of college because you could manage you know, your emotions a little bit better and you have experience and you've seen a million things, but, you know, keep doing that. So for me, I love working with startups. I love tech roadmaps. I love understanding product market fit. And I, I, I love interfacing between the engineers and the marketing and the sales to, to create this, this beautiful product that, that customers are going to love. That's the thing that really gets me very excited. So and and every time I kept going back to that, I, I kept thinking this makes me happy. And I would think about taking a different kind of job. And I'm like, oh, you know, that makes me tired. That makes me not happy. You know, so I, I think that it no matter what you love, you just keep doing that thing you love. And then you're when you're learning in that area, you're more excited to learn, you have better retention. But you also usually and have a lot of experience and a lot of skills. So whatever it is. That you're doing, like for example, I'm doing this. Ideas last. I've got a lot of experience and a lot of reps put into startups it, in all phases of startups and and all of the things you need to do. So I love helping people succeed in that area. And it's it's funny because it it actually did take me a while to get there. And I I was talking to various friends who's again like kids had gone to college and they were had been had been professional women they chose to stay home and raise their family, but they were in the same situation where they're thinking, what am I going to do now? Like, I can't, I can't do nothing. And, but, but very insecure about finding jobs and thinking, well, who's going to hire me and I'm irrelevant. and, And it's just not true. And I would, I would be saying to them, oh, come on, just go apply for jobs. You can do anything you want. Just, you know, like just find some, who cares if someone says no, who cares if, you know, you're working for a 20 year old. (laughs) It's good. It hurts inside, but it could still happen, but it's okay. And you know, a lot of these, a lot of my friends came back to me and said, guess what? I got a job and I'm so happy. And I'm thinking, well, why am I not taking my own advice? (laughs) So, so I, I just, I think that, you know, number one, if you're passionate about what you're doing. or or what you're doing excites you, who cares how old you are. And, and secondly, I think that people with experience can bring a lot of value to a team that is coachable and open-minded. So if you have, you know, I work with startup teams that are all different ages and every single one of them is so appreciative of the experience, the input, the help. Even if you're only telling someone, guess what? a million people before you made this mistake, it's okay. Or, you know, and when you're a startup founder, you just think everything you do is the worst thing in the world if it doesn't go right. And it's, that's just not true. So even having someone say, guess what? I've been there. You'll get over it. It'll be fine. is, is super helpful for founders. So, you know, the the, the experience really helps not just the knowledge and, and the, the hard skills, but the soft skills too.
0: It does seem to, to be a difference that that experience makes it is that soft skills piece, you know, the connections, the, the bigger picture, like, I mean, what, from what you're talking about, it's seeing how a lot of pieces fit together that someone earlier in their career probably doesn't have experience with all those pieces yet. You know, they may be very Exactly. Good.
1: And it's, and it's just, It's just needing more experiences. It's not. It doesn't have anything to do intelligence or ability. It's it's just those experiences. And I'm I'm a prime example. When I first started working in my 20s, I was a terrible employee. I thought I knew everything. I was very reactive. I had no foam rubber. It was it was just a disaster. I was good at what I did, but I was a disaster as a person. But you know, and and I had mentors that were probably in their fifties then. And, and, you know, they'd be like, okay, got to dial that back a little bit. You're <laughs> sure you're doing a good job. It's okay. You know, you could be a little kinder, but you know, that's that silly stuff. But I also learned tons about programming and it, it, it was always mind boggling to me if I was stuck on something, how quickly someone with more experience could sort it out and set me in the right direction. And I I just think, wow, I that's that's experience, just just observing somebody quickly solving a problem is more than, you know, most of the education I received. So there's it's two sides to the coin, right?
0: Yeah, def- definitely. The experience definitely brings, you know, ability to, to spot patterns to Know what patterns to look for. Maybe I'm just kind of trying to apply this all to my own life here. (laughs) I'm thinking through, you know, the advantages that I bring. Because what one of my one of my concerns, the things I I worry about, is that kind of that irrelevancy. The you know the the world moving faster than I'm keeping up with it, and and I suspect a lot of us uh, in this group are feeling the same way as well. You know, it is,
1: and it's it it can you know it's it's scary sometimes. You know, to think, you know, I, I. I don't want young people to laugh at me. Right. Like, like what is that old back think? What does she think she can do for me? You know, like it's, it's the whole thing is it really, you know, you, you have to have a pretty strong constitution to, to, to put yourself out there no matter what age you are. And, you know, you just, you just have to go for it and think it's, it takes 10 seconds of courage. And so what if someone says, no, I've, I've had much worse things happen to me than someone be like, oh, she doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> so
0: I guess I'm wondering, you know, so and maybe you don't have have an answer for this, you know, just kind of thinking, where does someone even get started? And, and I realize that's a super broad question,
1: Daniel,
0: <laughs> but, but just kind of thinking like, you know, yes, I, w- I would love to be able to, to mentor others. I would love to be able to, to coach others or, you know, bring the experience that I have, but maybe don't necessarily feel that they're in a position to do that or, Don't even know where to start. Start thinking about it. And I say that may be too general of a question, but I am curious on on kind of your thoughts.
1: Well, so once I decided that I, you know, wanted to more formally do this consulting and mentoring, I started asking friends, lots of friends, about how what would they do, how would you start, and I got a lot of useless information. But I, but I also, you know, I have a couple of people that are in my network that. I have always been great sounding boards, and have always provided really good advice. So, you know, I I just started asking those people. You know, what? How would you get started doing this? How would you network? How would you start building a client list? And then one of the things that I did was I hired. So I, I knew what I wanted to do, but I had no framework or no methodology to describe what I did. So everything about ideas last was sort of in my head, but I didn't have a way to call it that it, what I'm, you know, what I had been practicing had no name.
0: Mm. So
1: I I did hire someone to help me put some framework around what is ideas last and what's important and, and what is this methodology and, and how do we talk about the experience that I can, bring to the table or, or what could I, what service could I provide to startups. So I think, but I, I never would have got to the stage of hiring someone had I not just talked to people in my industry and mentors. And honestly, I looked at probably 150 job openings, job applications, and and thought, but I do I want that job, yes or no. And that helped me frame what I wanted, what I ultimately wanted to do. And I think some of these job job boards are, I think there's a lot of opportunity for these these posting sites to get be better. It's still kind of good for research, right? And it's good to like look at a job and envision yourself and then think, yeah, yes, no, closer, farther away. You know, I don't I don't think anyone's going to get a job from LinkedIn posting. But I do know that you will find out a lot about what's available in your industry and, and what job titles, what what roles are being called, what job titles, and you know, you know what kinds of jobs are being offered at different size companies. And it's it's almost like applying to college, right? You think, do I want a big company? Do I want a small company? Do I want a startup? Do I want an established company? Do I do I want an executive level position, or do I just want to do what I love? Do I, you know, so. You just start eliminating all the things that you don't want to do by looking at you know hundreds of job postings, then eventually you, you should you should get to a place where you find something that you do want to do.
0: I think that's really, really good advice. I, I suspect that uh, a lot of people, are just going for the job versus not even asking those questions. And that's certainly, well, one, not only narrows down the job search for you, so you're not just applying to everything in the world, but it seems to up the chances you'll actually find a job that you want to have on day two. So I am curious, the person you hired to help kind of put a framework around what you were thinking... What's their job title? I, I I wouldn't even know who to look for. <laughs> like person to help me think through stuff.
1: <laughs> that's that's actually a really good question. So so it's Microfame Media. It's Michael Shine. It's a person who probably introduced us. And I don't, I honestly don't know how I would tell you how to find him. I found him through a podcast. So, like I said, I had been doing a lot of research. I listened to a lot of audiobooks, I listened to a lot of podcasts. And they weren't, they were not what I would categorize as self-help. They were books about creatives. They were books about, or, you know, they're about their podcasts about building companies and, you know, creative people. And I listened to TechCrunch, and, you know, it's all things that I love tech and creative people and, you know, stuff like that. So it was not, I wasn't specifically looking for person to help me. I was looking for a strategy, a plan, a flight plan for myself. And so I, I listened to a podcast that he was on and uh, ended up talking to him. And I'd, I had talked to a few other people that were, you know, they call themselves executive coaches, business coaches. A lot of them for are for established companies. They're not really for individuals. And then, you know, it's, it's hard to find someone that fits with your personality. And then what I liked best about what he was doing was he was going to help me harness all these thoughts and, and turn it into a framework. And then, you know, with the framework in place, some of the other pieces start falling into, into place.
0: That makes sense. Because, yeah, as you were talking about that, I was like, well, where would I start looking for this person? But no, <laughs> that, that makes total sense the way you you found your way to him and how he was able to help you. Um, and, and
1: it did take a while. I'm not I mean, like I I spent a lot of time just sort of disappointed in myself that it didn't that I couldn't find figure this out faster. But it, again, like you have to give yourself a break. Like, I, just, it, I guess it happened at the rate that's the, the time frame it needed to happen. And I can't, there's, There was no good to come from me giving myself a hard time because I couldn't get to this place quicker.
0: But we do so often, don't we? We
1: do. <laughs> anyway, I don't know why. It's such a waste of energy.
0: <laughs> yeah, we get these expectations for ourselves. And even though we have no experience with something or, you know, <laughs> we're in a different set of circumstances than our experience would help us with. And somehow it's, I don't know, it's hard to edit your own work. It's always easier to, you know, help other people than to kind of think through your own situation, your own stuff. and For sure as we kind of start, start wrapping up here, I'm curious. So, so one of the questions I, I like to just kind of touch on is for you, what do you like best about midlife? <laughs>
1: like we've, we've, been, we've been talking around it, but you know, <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, it's like what pops into my head is a quote from a movie where the, the, the woman, like, like rams her car into the back of a young person's car and said, honey, I'm older and I have more insurance. So it's like, I can ram your car if I want to, but I don't even know what movie that's from, but that always sort of, that it sort of makes me laugh. But I, I think, you know, I, I spent a lot of time throughout my education and career, making sure that I left options for myself. So when I did sort of get to this place of, 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 finding a new pathway, I knew that I had some options and that somehow I would find the option that I, that I wanted, that I, that I could, you know, be happiest with. So I, I think that, you know, in, in being in your fifties, it's just the the experiences you have and and all the great things that I've seen. And I've been very fortunate. I've worked hard, so I'm not, trying to pay my rent every month, you know, I'm not worried about paying my rent. I I can take more time to do the things I want to do and I you know, there there wasn't an urgency, you know, for me to to have to take a job. So I, I feel really grateful for that. But I've, I've had plenty of options in my life. So I think maybe just the time and and the the less pressure to 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 take something I don't want or to to do something I don't want to do is kind of the great thing about, you know, being mid fifties plus, you know, my kids are in college. So, you know, I'm getting fewer requests for, you know, mom, I need this mom. I need that mom. I need, you know, could you run my lunch to school? You know, I don't, I don't have to worry about that anymore, but I don't know. I, I guess it would be options. I have great friends. I have great mentors. I've learned a ton throughout my life. And so it's all pretty good.
0: Well, where can people find you, Danielle? I mean, if they're they're kind of interested in what you do, want to learn more about what you do, want to learn more about the, the ideas last, where can they track you down?
1: So my website is danielleglesby.net. It has on there some a little introduction to what ideas last is, why I believe in it, and you know, how I could help a startup company go from, you know, idea on napkin to to production, to deployment, and then you can connect with me on LinkedIn or, you know, I have a few medium articles, you read a little bit more before you connect with me that might, you know, either make you want to know me or not want to know me either way, (laughs) which is good, right? You need to, you need to figure it out. So. Yep. Yep. Uh, Self-select. Self-select. So yeah, I mean, my website has a contact me form on it and it's, it goes right to me. So that's probably the best way.
0: All right. Awesome. Well, Danielle, this has been fun. It's been great having you on today.
1: It's great. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Thank you for listening today. I really hope you enjoyed the episode with Danielle. In fact, I'd love to hear what you thought about it. You can uh, get in touch with me several ways. One, you can just leave a rating for, at lovethepodcast.com forward slash midlifemastery. You can also connect with me on Instagram, which is just at midlifemasterypodcast. You can leave a message on, on the post on the website, midlifemasterypodcast.com. Anyway, lots of ways to get in touch with me. Would love to hear what you think about it. And also what ideas you're applying to your own life. Now we are up to listeners in, I think, 39 different countries now. So I'm excited about the growth. I'm excited about the people around the world really tapping into the idea that we can make midlife fantastic, that this isn't our time to slink away, but rather it's our time to shine. So thank you for coming along on this journey. Please bring others into it because I believe this is such an important time of life and we all have so much to offer the world. Go make it a great day. Let's play bigger.